Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, now we're just about to the end of graduation season. Perhaps you've already been to one or two, or maybe there's still one to go to. This past week, I was reading through news articles, and one came up as the best graduation speeches of 2023. And one particular speech caught my eye for its provocative address to the graduates. For the state of this world as a, a dismal place to live in, and yet the speaker exhorted the graduates to live an extraordinary life, even in the face of adversity. The world, as this speaker put it, was as bad as this. He said, democracy is crumbling, truth is up for grabs, the planet's trying to kill us, and loneliness is driving everyone insane. And yet what he saw as uniquely valuable in the graduating class of 2023 was this. He says, It's been truly amazing to see how your generation has rebelled against every bad habit of mine and every generation that came before me. Everything that we let calcify, you have kicked against and demolished. You've rejected that whole 24-7, no days off grind. You've rejected apathy. You've rejected ignoring your mental health because you just got to muscle through it no matter what. You've rejected alienation and cruelty. You've rejected not trying to include everyone. And you've rejected not looking out for each other. And this is his point. And those things are hard to reject. Because accepting them would sometimes make life way easier. If you would just shut yourself off from the world, life is way easier. It's also way less colorful, way less complicated, way less nourishing, and way less memorable. So his solution was what he called wandering easy, working hard at everything, but he says that the meaningful, extraordinary life is not found in meticulous calculations and precise planning of every minute of every day to maximize productivity, product, or even pleasure, but a meaningful life, as this speaker puts it, an extraordinary life, is found in the wandering, the carefree exploration of whatever interests you to go out and find it. And that's what he called an extraordinary life. And so to the graduates of 2023, he said three words, time to live. Now, isn't the Christian life an extraordinary life? A life full of wonder and hope? A life of freedom, set free from the past of all guilt and shame. A life of joy. Joy that is sustainable and enduring even in times of suffering, pain, grief, and loneliness. A life of sacrifice because God has given you so much that whatever you give away, God is more than able to give you more. And a life of renewal that day by day, by God's power working in you, he is refining you as an artist refines a sculpture, chipping away all of the extra to what is left is a piece of beauty. Christian life can be a life, an extraordinary life, but it's not founded on an optimistic outlook of a comedian in a robe, but in the powerful and all-loving reign of our triune God over all the earth, that an extraordinary life of discipleship is one of following Jesus, following the triune God who then sends us out to make disciples of all nations.
In a way, our text is a graduation speech for Jesus' disciples. That after three years of following Jesus, they were now ready to be sent out. They had learned from Jesus. They had uh, listened to all of his public and private teachings. They had witnessed countless miracles of healings and casting out demons. And if failure is the best method of teaching, well, then the disciples, they learned a lot. And now here they were standing on this mountain about to be sent out on their graduation. And they were in Galilee, a fitting place for them to be sent out. Because in Galilee was where Jesus started his mission. Not in the high upper crust echelon society of Jerusalem where all the religious gathered all the religious leaders gathered, but out in the boonies, out in Galilee. As Isaiah would describe uh, Galilee, he would say, uh, he would uh, prophesy that in the latter times, he is, uh, God has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. These, Isaiah says, are the people who walked in darkness and have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Jesus was sending them out into a world lost in darkness, lost without hope. Jesus was standing on the mountain with his disciples about to send them out, and they were at a turning point in history a turning point for their lives and a turning point for history. That they were about to be sent out into a world that was in a bad condition. A, a world that, that was, was uh, uh, corrupt and, and, and strought and filled with brokenness. But Jesus was not sending them out to try and just make the best of things. But the disciples were standing at a turning point in history where everything was turning for the better because God had begun his reign in Jesus. That they were standing at the turning point of Jesus fulfilling his mission to redeem and restore all of creation. That yes, we live in a broken world. Yes, we are sent out into a broken world, but we are sent out into a broken world that is day by day being repaired and slowly put back together by God's glorious reign. And the proof of that is, is in Jesus, that he has risen from the dead and he has done what he has said to do and that in the lives of his disciples, they are sent out to be a small piece of the world put right. The world filled with brokenness, but the world being mended by the power of our triune God. So, they were sent out as disciples. And discipleship is a dedicated and committed fascination uh, for a, a person, a story, a philosophy that shapes our thoughts, our lives, and, and uh, we shape our lives to then mirror what we fa uh, our fascination. If you want to know, uh, or back in the day, to be a disciple, was, it was fairly easy. You, you had to, to go around and follow your teacher for years and learn from them. But what does it mean to be a disciple today? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus right now? Well, humans naturally become a disciple of something. 
uh, or of someone. And you can tell this, you can do a quick check to find out what you might be a disciple of, because it's that one thing that if only somebody would ask you to tell them about it, you could talk for hours, whether they want to hear it or not. Whether it's, it's something that, that you find so fascinating, something so interesting, that, that in, in all of your free time or any of your free time, you would, you would use some of that to go out and learn and find out more. And maybe there, there's a, a teacher, an, an author, a blogger, or a YouTuber who you enjoy reading or listening to who can tell you more about this fascination uh, of yours. Mine, well, it's technology. I love to find out what new sleek computers Apple is coming out with, what new powerful programs Google can, can invent, and I'm fascinated by all the artificial intelligence research that's going right now. And from beekeeping to, to baseball, it's not bad, it's not a sin to be fascinated by whatever it is. It's just a, an observation that we, we naturally are, are drawn to become a disciple of something, to, to learn and read, and then, and then slowly it starts to shape our lives and how we think. So to be a disciple of Jesus would be to learn and to read, to have uh, an excitement, a, a yearning, to find out more about his teaching and who he is, and then to have our lives shaped by that so we can slowly begin to think like Jesus. There's uh, one pastor who, who uh, reads a bunch of, of C, the author C.S. Lewis, the Christian author, and he says that, that he would consider himself a disciple of C.S. Lewis. So then he's read so much that he begins to, to think the way that he thinks that he begins to, to th uh, understand how C.S. Lewis might approach a problem that, that he would never dream of having to answer. To become a disciple of Jesus is to, to be part of the community of other disciples, to, to join with others, to learn, to, to read, to have our lives mimic how Jesus would live. So what is it that keeps us from following Jesus? What is it that keeps us from, from shaping our lives, from, from giving up other things and following him? What is it that keeps us from having that, 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 that yearning to learn and read and find out as much as we can about who he is and what he does in our lives today? Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's comfort. Or maybe it's safety. Or maybe it's the fact that it's a no secret that to follow Jesus is costly. That it might mean you'll have to give up some of your own dreams. Some of your own things that you want in this life. Maybe it means giving up your addiction, your, your, your pet sin that you want to hold on to so badly but can't give up. Maybe it's giving up your pride or giving up the one thing that you can't live without. Following Jesus is costly. It, it might even cost you your dreams. It might cost me my American dream of, of one day owning a home with two cars and a family and retiring right on my 67th birthday so then I can do whatever I want because it'll be summer vacation every day. Following Jesus is costly. And yet, What's Jesus' response to his disciples as they stand on this mountain, this turning point in history? Well, 
He sends them anyways. Even though some were gathered around them and some doubted, Jesus sends them anyways. He sends them out into this world being redeemed by God's reign over all creation. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, it's not just that this extraordinary life of discipleship is one of many options or simply the best among a lot of others, but because it's true. That because Jesus has risen from the dead, because Jesus has ascended, now ascended into heaven and rules with all authority over all of heaven and all of earth, this extraordinary life of discipleship is a life given by God, by his love, so that we may live after him. And he sends us out, even with our doubts. He sends us out to make disciples of all nations, even if you have doubts of how much this might cost you. Because God's in control of all things. And he sends them out to to baptize and to teach. Well, baptisms, we got four checked off the list this morning. And so that's the easy part. God does all the work there. But he also sends us out to teach all nations, not discriminating of people we like or even people we already know. But God sends us out to to teach others in the faith. That, That when you get baptized, you receive all the promises of God, but you also are received into the community. As we we just said a minute ago, we welcome you in the name of the Lord. That everyone who is baptized is now part of our community, part of our small community of believers here at St. Luke's, and part of the large community of the whole world being redeemed by God. So we go out and teach, because being a disciple requires uh, community. I was sent another article this week about artificial intelligence and discipleship of whether artificial intelligence might take over the job of discipleship too. And what it said was was that even the AI program admitted that discipleship requires community. It requires you to to go and be a part of the community uh, of other believers, to learn from them, to teach others in the faith. Maybe it's being a part of vacation Bible school this coming weeks. Maybe it's just asking someone who's sitting next to you how did you end up here today at St. Luke's? It'll be awkward at first, but the lives of the disciples of Jesus are are joined together into this community. It's finding somebody who who is just starting out in the faith and helping them along. It's finding somebody who's farther along in the journey of faith and, and learning from them. This community of disciples is one walking together following after Jesus. And now today's Trinity Sunday, so I don't want to shortchange anyone. But as we are baptized into the one name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not three names, but one. Not three gods, but one God. Not one God who does three different things, but one God who's three persons. How do we make sense of all this? Well, we really can't. And that's this mysterious triune God that we worship, the God who created all things, the God who has redeemed all things, and the God who has sent his spirit onto the whole world so that all might believe in him and be saved. This mystery of the triune God is simply something that we don't really comprehend. 
And yet this incomprehensible God would make himself known to us in Jesus so that we might have life with him and live with God forever. One pastor put it this way, we know precious little about God, but the, the little we know is precious. So what can we do on this Trinity Sunday? Well, we say the creed. That what we do know is that we know we believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ. And we just said this all a minute ago, and the Holy Spirit. But it's this incomprehensible God that has called us into a life of uh, discipleship with him, an extraordinary life of following after him, being remade by the power of the Holy Spirit, redeemed by the power of the Son, so that we might live with the Father forever, face to face And that is where the soul is satisfied. So this mystery of the Trinity, this mystery of God's infinite love and just judgment, the mystery that an unfathomable God would make himself and bother with uh, such simple creatures as us, leaves us just with his promise. That in this life, as you wander out, as you go out of these doors into the life that, that is dangerous and, and they're full of, of fear and discomfort and not knowing what comes next, the costly life of discipleship, we are left with one thing, and that's with God's promise. That the one thing we can hold on to is the words of God because they are true and they are sure. That in the midst of suffering, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of times where you might have to give something up, and in the midst of the life constantly being transformed in the life of renewal, our hope and our faith and our trust is put in the words of God. That what he says is true when he says, truly I am with you always to the ends of the age. And you'll go out into a world, won't be safe, but you'll go out with the power of God and with the promise of God. You'll go out as tiny glimmers of hope in the world lost in brokenness. You'll go out as tiny parts of the world being put right. Did you know that, that in your words and your work as disciples of, of Jesus, that God is working through you to bring about the, the final restoration and recreation of everything? That in the lives of believers, there's a tiny glimmer of what the world is supposed to be. It's like a big bucket full of water, filled to the brim, that it sloshes around about and moves around. And as water falls out, you see the world put right again. And it will continue to be, to be spilled and splashed everywhere. You'll see it in small acts of love, small acts of hope in your families, in your communities. Until one day that whole bucket will be tipped over, all the water will come rushing out, and the world will be recreated in a twinkling of the eye when Jesus returns. And until then, we get to live this extraordinary life, this life of hope and this life of faith. Because that water has already been splashed on you. It hits you square in the forehead in the waters of your baptism. When the power of God and the promises of God were given to you so that you might live this extraordinary life out into the world. So to the disciples of Jesus Christ at St. Luke's in 2023, it's time to live. In the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the one true faith. Amen.